Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to see you all this morning and um, great to uh, to be able to connect a little bit here over Zoom. Thank you so much, Salim, for making this possible. That is a gift of yours, and we are grateful to benefit from it. And uh, thank you, uh, Ryan, for emceeing the, uh, the event that we are doing this morning. I know Ryan's got so much MC experience. Um, he's the Ryan MC. Uh, not me. Yeah, there you go. There's the joke. Okay. All right. Well, it's great to, uh, great to see you guys this morning. You can turn over to Ephesians chapter one. We will continue, uh, with our, uh, solid foundation series this morning. Uh, you know, we've been doing this, this series really for about the past six months that, uh, is talking about foundational scriptures and how we can take the scriptures that we have and really use them to provide a foundation for our relationship with God. And, uh, last week, uh, I spoke about the first half of Ephesians chapter one, um, and uh, we're going to finish the second half, really, of, uh, of that chapter this morning. Um, as, uh, as I pointed out last week in, in chapter one and verse nine, Paul says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will, which was to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And as I said last week, you know, that the mystery of God's will that he accomplished in Jesus was to bring unity to all things, both he says things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And, you know, I spoke last week about how uh, Paul's summarized the gospel for the church that he was writing to there as really, you know, this kind of th this uh, principle that God chose us in Christ as cherished children. God chose us out of the world. He intervened in our lives. He we didn't choose him. He chose us in Christ, in, you know, through the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus as cherished children, not grudgingly, not just out of a sense of duty, but out of just his great love and pleasure, out of his just great desire to be our father, to have us in his family. God chose us in Christ as cherished children. And then Paul continues in the second half of chapter one here and talks about his response to this gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, responding to the gospel of God's love. Paul has summarized the gospel in the first half of chapter one, and now he talks about how that gospel, understanding that gospel, transforms the way that he interacts with the church. So let's read Ephesians chapter one. We'll start in 15, verse 15. Paul says, for this reason, basically because God has done so much for us, he says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted 
when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Paul ends this enthusiastic praise of God that he's gone through in the, in the first half of chapter one that you know really turned into a summary of the gospel. And then he moves into addressing his audience. And he's talking about, as I said, how, how this understanding of the gospel that he has motivates him in his relationship with them. And this is helpful for us because I think it gives us a great example to follow as we try to take the message of the gospel and then apply it to our lives, to not just let it be something that we understand intellectually, but that it's something that really transforms who we are and how we interact with those around us. So if we want to respond to the gospel the way that Paul describes, what should we do? Well, I've got two points. And the first is this, point number one, pray three prayers for those around you. We want to respond to the gospel of God's love. Point number one, pray three prayers for those around you. This is what we see in Paul's example here. Paul says that because of his, of God's incredible love expressed in the gospel, he says ever since he heard about the faith of these Christians in Ephesus, he says he hasn't stopped praying for them. And he mentions three kinds of prayers that he prays for these people. Number one, First, he prays prayers of thanksgiving. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's saying that he continues to remember them day after day, thanking God for the fruit of the gospel that God has brought about in their lives, their faith, their love for God's people that Paul has seen and heard about. Second, Paul prays prayers for growth. Right? He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He says that knowing that they have faith in Jesus isn't enough. He asks for God to pour his spirit into their hearts to give them wisdom and revelation so that they can grow in their knowledge of him. And third, the third prayer that, that Paul prays for them is he, he prays a prayer for specific convictions in their hearts. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul doesn't just pray general prayers for their spiritual growth. He has specific convictions that he would love, that he's asking God, pleading with God to instill in their hearts so that they can grow in their faith and knowledge of God. Paul cares enough about them to be specific in his prayers for their growth. So if we want to respond to the gospel the way that Paul does, really this, the example, following the example of our brother Paul, we should be praying these prayers for those around us as well. So let's talk about this. Are we praying prayers of thanksgiving for the people that God has put 
in our life? Do you thank God for the people with whom he has surrounded you? The people in your life group, your spouse, your kids, your parents and siblings. You know, note that this is, this is the first thing that Paul mentions, and it really should be the first thing that we mention in our prayers for others as well. The first thing that we pray about is, God, thank you for putting this person in my life. Thank you for the faith that you have given them. Thank you for the way that you've helped me to learn about you through their example. Thank you for showing your love to me through them. And then you notice how Paul doesn't just pray, pray these prayers of thanksgiving. He also then tells them about him, uh, tells them about the prayers that he's praying, tells them how grateful he is for them. And I think this is a, a good example for us as well. We talk to God and thank God for, for these people, but then we can also tell them how grateful we are because that is where our heart is. If we aren't saying prayers of thanksgiving, I think here's the challenge. If we're not praying this way, then the natural result is that bitterness tends to grow in our hearts. Our hearts don't just stay grateful for the people around us, right? Everybody has quirks and shortcomings and, and things that bother us. And if we don't deliberately pray prayers of thanksgiving for them, what tends to happen is that we get annoyed at them. Right? And then that annoyance turns into bitterness slowly but surely, even to the people that we love the most, even to the people that out of everyone in the world, you chose to be your spouse. Lord knows that if you're not praying prayers of thanksgiving, the bitterness can sneak in, can't it? This is the example. Paul, obviously not married, but there's some great insight there into the way that we should be with those around us. But it's true of not just our spouses, with every relationship, with the family, our family members, our roommates, our teachers, the, the people that God has put around us, praying prayers of thanksgiving. Number two, prayers for growth. Prayers for growth. Do you pray to God that God would help the church to grow? And not just kind of perfunctory prayers, but prayers of passion and conviction. As, pray, as Paul says here, growth comes from God. You know, more maturity, deeper convictions, greater knowledge of God. It doesn't just come about because we try harder. Although, of course, our effort does have a role to play. All those things come because God, through his spirit, gives us wisdom and revelation into his nature and into how he's operating in the world. And so we should be asking God, to send his spirit to help the church to grow. That's what Paul did. Because I think, you know, the, the challenge here is that if we're not praying for growth, it usually means that we've given up on growing. We've given up. When we're not growing, I should say, when we are growing, when we're inspired and, and seeing what God is doing in our lives, we can't stop but pray for those around us to be growing as well. We have that heart. And I think you see this in, in Paul here. Man, he's like, he, he, he says, man, I have this understanding of the gospel and I want to see it in you as well. I want to see you grow and know God better and, and the wisdom and the revelation that God is pouring into the world. I want to see that in your heart. But when we're not in that place, when we're kind of just not real focused, not really focused on growing, then yeah, praying for, for God to help the church to grow or, you know, that it just feels like, it feels, it feels a long way 
from where our minds can be at. And I think this is you know, important, especially now, because we're in a situation where it's hard to grow, right? The conditions, if, I, you know, up, if it were up to me, this is not the conditions that I would pick for, you know, for kind of my optimal growth environment. And yet, of course, growth is not from me. Growth is from God. God is the one who's in control. God is the one who's going to give us the growth. So we should be praying to him for growth. Don't give up on growth. Say prayers for growth for those around you. Third, praying prayers for specific convictions. Prayers for specific convictions to be instilled in the hearts of those around you. Paul didn't just pray general prayers for the church to grow. He identified specific things that he wanted God to instill in people's hearts. So I guess the question for us, if you could ask God to build one conviction into your life group, one conviction into your family, one conviction into the, 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 your friends, what is it that you would ask God to do? What one conviction would you ask God to instill in their hearts? I think honestly, many of us don't know because that's not where the way that we've been thinking. Right? We haven't really put the thought into how to be a spiritual help and inspiration to those around us. We are maybe willing to, you know, somebody texts us or, you know, goes after us, we're willing to maybe respond if, you know, if, if, we're, if it's a good day. But in terms of us actually being proactive and thinking about how can God use me to help other people to grow? What is it that I want to see God do in this group? What specifically? We haven't really been proactive in that way. The writer of Hebrews calls the disciples of Jesus toward love and good deeds. That's a scripture you're probably familiar with. Hebrews 10, verse 24. And this is exactly what you see in Paul here, right? Considering what it would look like for these Christians to grow stronger. And he prays specifically for that to happen. And the, the thing about praying for specific things for people is that often what happens is that God moves our hearts. So it, it doesn't just stop with prayers. It starts there, but then we actually, God moves our heart. Right? He uses us to actually help instill those convictions. And we see that in Paul's example here. Paul didn't just pray for these things. I'm sure he was praying about them and praying about them. And then God inspired him to also then write a letter to help those things. For us. Maybe you're praying for somebody, but then you think, oh man, you know, our heart is receptive to God's call to then be a, a, a source of, of inspiration and help for them to grow in those convictions prayers for specific convictions for those around us. And I would just want to stop before I go to the second point here. I just want us to stop and think for a second how different our ministry would look if we really embraced this challenge. If everyone in our ministry prayed every day for each other, if we thanked God every day for each other, if we pleaded with God to send his spirit to help us to grow. And if we prayed for specific victories in each other's lives, how different would our ministry look? That's the vision that God has for us. That's the example that we see in our brother Paul. Okay, so that's point number one. Pray three prayers 
for those around you, following the example of Paul. And point number two is a quick one, but it mirrors the first in a little bit. And the second point is take on three truths for yourself. You know, if we want to respond to the, the gospel in the way that, that, that Paul does and that Paul's calling the church to here, First, we follow Paul's example of praying these three prayers. But the second thing is that we respond to the, the, the challenge that Paul gives to the church and that he really is praying for them to achieve by taking on three truths that Paul mentions. And, and he mentions them in that last prayer. So I'll just turn you back to verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. And he lists three things that he wants them to know. Number one, the hope to which he has called you. Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And third, his incomparably great power for us who believe. So let's look at those three things, thinking how can we have these convictions in our hearts? Truth number one, that we need to place our hope in God. We're going to take on these the, the truths that Paul is talking about. Truth number one, place your hope in God. Hope is about what sets the foundation for our expectations about the future. Biblical hope isn't just optimism that things are going to turn out okay. It's a conviction that God's in control of the world. And that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God will one day redeem and restore all of creation. And as part of that, every aspect of our lives the victories, and the defeats. And he will make those things as they were intended to be from the beginning of time, in perfect love, in joy, in peace. So where is your hope? What gets you up in the morning and makes you excited about the future? What helps you to persevere when things are difficult, when through sickness or difficulty or setbacks in life? And I appreciate Javi sharing because we've all gone through difficult setbacks this year in the last couple of years. And I appreciate so much his example of staying faithful to God through diff incredible difficulty. Thank you, Javi, for your example in that way. But where is our hope? We're able to persevere because of the hope that we have in God. Place your hope in God. Truth number two is to value the riches of God. So truth number one is to place our hope in God. Truth number two, value the riches of God. Paul says he desires for the church to understand the riches of the glorious inheritance we have in Christ. God has an incredible inheritance waiting for us. He has poured every spiritual blessing into our lives. But do we value the riches that God has poured into our life? Or are we chasing after other things? In Matthew 6, Jesus says not to store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but to store up treasures in heaven. And the concept that Paul is talking about is similar here, except that Paul is saying that it's not that we need to store up treasures. He's saying God already has the treasure. The treasure is already there. The treasure is already incredible and beyond your comprehension. The question is, do you value it? Do you value it? The blessings that God has for you in store for you his inheritance. And then the truth number three, do we trust in the power of God? So place your hope in God, 
value the riches of God, trust in the power of God. Last, Paul prays so that the church would know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. He wants them to, to know that God isn't limited, that he has the power to change them, to rescue them from any situation. And Paul says that we know this is true because of what we saw God do with Jesus. In verse 19, he says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul's saying that all the power that God used to take Jesus from the grave to the heavenly realms is available for God to work in your life. He says, you might feel like your faith is dead, like your relationships in your family are dead, that your marriage is dead, your friendships are dead, or your job situation is dead. But God can take that dead situation. Not only can he raise it back to life, but he can seed it in the heavenly realms with Christ. He can transform the dead parts of your life to incredible victories. But do we trust in his power? Or do we try to use shortcuts that the world gives us? Ultimately from Satan, lies about the way that we can resolve the issues in our life. You may have dead parts of your life, but God can give you victories there. Trust in the power of God. So in closing, as we consider how we respond to the gospel, let's first imitate, God, uh, imitate Paul's example of praying three prayers for those around us. Prayers of thanksgiving, that our hearts would really be right and grateful for the people that God has put in our lives. Prayers for growth, that we don't get into a, an attitude that's just okay with surviving, but we're, we're desiring growth and praying to God for growth. And prayers for specific convictions in those around us, that we love them enough to be specific, to know what they need, and to see praying to see God move in their hearts. And then the second thing, to take on three truths for ourselves, placing our hope in God, valuing the riches of God, and trusting in the power of God to change our lives. In the last, I love the, uh, the way that Paul closes here, in the last verse, because, you know, he returns to this theme of unity in Christ that he's brought up in the first, the, the, the first half of the chapter that we talked about last week, where he talks about really God's goal to bring everything in heaven and on earth to unity under Christ. And in verse 22, he says, and God placed all things after raising Jesus and seating him in the heavenly realms. He says, God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God's goal, as I said, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. But what Paul is saying is that God has already put that spiritual reality into place. We don't see it in the world here, but in the heavenly realms, that reality is already there. Jesus already is on the throne. Everything already is under his feet. And he's there for the church. He's on the throne for us to help us to be there for us. And I believe that if we can embrace 
Paul's example of prayer for others. And if we can embrace his challenges to have deeper convictions about God's role in our lives, then we can become what God desires for the church to be, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen.